Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello, Jen, are you there? Well, here for a minute, I thought you abandoned me. Oh, no, it was just taking a long time to connect. I didn't know if my internet's all slow or whatever. We're about to find out. (laughs) <laughs> it was fun. it was funny because the screen was blinking and stuff, and I'm like, "This yep. is weird." No, mine just kept saying "joining" and like spinning. <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, can you actually join?" Oh, guess what, Jen? What? Cue fake podcast music. Okay. Guess what I've been doing? I've been spending hours doing every day. I even do it at work. What? I play Pokemon Go. No, you're not. <laughs> yes, I do all the time. Oh I'm obsessed God. currently. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. My son used to play that all the time, and he would be like, I'll be right back. I got to go do something and catch Pokemon. Yeah, Eastern has a ton of Pokestops. That's why. I'm trying to get Melina to go with me. <laughs> but my sister Cassie loves to play, so I've been calling her for like tips and stuff. Yeah. I'm digging it. I'm loving it. I am not cool like that. I told you I have the same likes as the average eight-year-old boy. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just not, I can't really get into playing games on my phone. Okay. I get it. I, I don't know why. I mean, I download them. And okay. there was a farming one that I did for a bit. Oh. But I, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's the only game on my phone, but I do have um, two games on my Kindle that I play a lot, which is Township and um, Fishdom. Oh, I can't help myself. But (laughs) I read this book called Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And just so you know, at least the next two articles are going to be about murder in the UP and probably more later. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, there you go. I I did not know so many people killed other people in the UP in like the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. It was like murder, 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 more murder. (laughs) A lot of murder going on. A lot of murder. Well, my next two are taking a step away from what I normally do. And I've been watching a lot of Netflix. So I watched (sighs) shows on Netflix and it just so happened. I thought it was funny. Like, uh-huh. just so happened that each of them had an episode about Michigan, like, that happened in Michigan. So, oh, I was like, and you, did you immediately perk up when you heard Michigan? Like, do-do-do, yes, Michigan? <laughs> yeah, I paused it and got my journal. <laughs> yeah. So I could take I've notes. I've done the same, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so tell me, what do you have? Because I'm going to talk about the Italian Hall disaster. Um, it's, it wasn't murder, although at one point people are saying it was murder. Um, it wasn't murder, but it was an accident in which a minimum of 73 people died. At least 73 people died. Wow. Yeah. I am going to talk about the Netflix show, Hangar One, The UFO Files. <gasps> I love shit on UFOs. Please talk to me. Do you believe in UFOs? Um, okay, so this is what I believe. There are literally billions of stars out there, right? We have one star that we're by, the sun. And if you all those other stars, I bet you they have planets that they have living beings on them. Now, the one thing I don't know, do they come here to check us out? I don't know. But do I believe that there's other intelligent life out there in the, in the billions of stars that we have? Yeah, absolutely. 
So I believe in UFOs minus the aliens. Okay. So you think that they're, they don't come down, think, they just check us out? I think there's unidentified flying objects or crazy stuff that happens. Okay. Okay. But I'm not so sure that there's intelligent life on that thing that you saw shooting through the sky. I see what you're saying. Okay. There's things that we can't identify in the air. You don't necessarily think they're aliens. Yeah. And I have a thought. Okay. And and it's ever since I watched the Truman show. Have you ever Uh seen the Truman show? I did. I didn't see, I haven't seen it all the way through, but I do know the concept. Yeah. Yeah. That really what I think is that we were a video game. We're a video game. Okay. And somebody created us in some planet somewhere and that planet died off. Uh-huh. And then, but the video games just keeps playing. See, when I was a kid, I swear to God, I thought we were somebody's science experiment. They're like, let me just throw some shit up down <laughs> on here and see what happens. And they look and then we've done this. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, that's what I thought. So tell me what this, doc- tell me what your documentary said. What did it say? Okay, so this Hangar 1, the UFO files is... Each episode is about researchers talking about UFO mysteries and conspiracy theories and like the files that they've been able to get, the records they've been able to get. Through like the government? Yeah. Okay. Because I guess after so long, things are, certain things are released. Yes. Yeah. Of course, obviously nothing that answers the questions that people want to know about. True story. So in this one episode was season one, episode eight. Okay. And it talks about a mass UFO sighting by residents of Washtenaw County. Wait, what? Yep. In March of 1966. Okay. Police were getting all these calls about activity in the skies. Residents gave very detailed accounts of what they saw dislike objects in the sky they were traveling very quickly the disc had a uh, center light and then lights all around okay it, like around the edge part yeah okay so these sightings weren't just like right now everyone's calling in it actually happened over a six to seven day period oh And so it started, I, I, it went all the way to Midland. Midland, Michigan? So it traveled outside, it traveled outside of Washtenaw County as the days went on. But it started right in Washtenaw County. Okay. So. Wait, Midland, Michigan, that's currently underwater because the dam broke? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's been, I've been watching that on the news. It's been crazy. Yeah. So two residents saw a flying object, and they believe that it landed in the swamp area. Okay. So, in Washtenaw? Yep. Okay. From my understanding, yep. Okay. And so they went at, called the police. The police came out. Two police officers and these two residents. Now they're going through to the swamp to find this object. And as they were looking 
for it. Uh-huh. It shot up Ooh, shit. from the swamp okay. and flew away. So the cops saw that? The cops actually saw it, too. Okay. okay. But I got four people that have actually seen this thing, like, swoop up and then fly away. Okay. So the cops called the government, you know, so that they can investigate it. And there's this, like, expert, supposedly. Okay. And I think his name is pronounced Heinick, Dr. Heinick. Okay. And he actually went on record after investigating it and claimed it to be decaying vegetable matter coming up from the swamp area and they created an optical illusion and so it was you know aka swamp gas oh the old swamp gas explanation yeah so um i was dying laughing when i was watching the show like really and so of course the news and everybody wouldn't let that one go because that was ridiculous yes (laughs) So Gerald Ford at the time was the congressman. Oh, not the president yet. Okay. Yep. And he asked for an investigation because, you know, he thought the expert's answer was ridiculous too. Yeah, exactly. And so a committee was formed to evaluate how the government handles UFO investigations. Okay. And it kind of got just like shot down. Like, oh, really? Like, kind of use that. It seemed like the government used this committee to shut down the relationship between UFOs and the government and and the government having to investigate them. See, that seems weird to me, dude. Yeah, like, so it it just separated. Like, it's not the government's responsibility or... (laughs) need or whatever to investigate these these sightings okay and they like just separating themselves from it which means you don't have to give an answer wow that seems so, like a parenting move like because i said so right <laughs> you, know? Actually, you know i use that quite a bit yep <laughs> I, I yeah i've used it yeah <laughs> yeah and so really nothing came upon about it oh they so they yeah. don't know what it was oh it's still unexplained and you know it's still categorized <sighs> swamp gas okay i don't believe it's swamp gas just right. so we know just so right. we just so we know, I don't think it was swamp gas, and I don't think people saw an optical illusion shoot out of a swamp and up into the air. Right. Yeah. So I stumbled upon this interesting website. It's arcgis.com. Okay. And it actually has a really cool interactive map of the world. And okay. if you zoom in, like you can zoom into Michigan and see you'll see all these dots where sightings happened and then you can click on them and, and it explains what the sighting was. Yeah. So that was cool. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then I stumbled upon an article on newsbreak.com that talked about a recent mass UFO sighting in Detroit 
and this is the real recent April, around April 3rd of this uh-huh. year. And the video shows the UFOs coming up from behind a tree line. Okay. A couple at a time, the lights would blink and they would just like vanish. Shit. See, that shit is scary to me. Like it so was what- actually crazy to watch the video. Like, yep, they are really. Yeah, you're like, that is some vanishing. shit, isn't it? That's some weird shit. That is yeah. some shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. Like, I'm, and it doesn't, it surely doesn't look like it was somebody that like doctored the video or anything. Yeah. I always, it always gets me when people who are unconnected see it. So like the cops and then the people that saw it before them, they're unconnected. So yeah. The fact that, yeah, two different groups of people saw the same thing is what always says to me, like, that's for real. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm going to tell you, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say. So that was it. So that was it. You, if you haven't watched this series, you should. I'm about to now. It's called UFO what? No, it's called Hangar One, the Hangar UFO one. Files. Okay, Hangar One, the UFO Files. All right. So I'm going to tell you about something that's kind of sad because children do die as well as adults. Okay. It's called the Italian Hall Disaster. And I got it from um, two different places. The Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula book by Sunny Longtime. And this podcast I like called Stuff You Missed in History Class. And those girls, they're kind of like, they're not exactly storytellers, but I like that they are definitely people who know their shit. I'm like, oh, ah, yeah, they have details. They look up actual stuffs and archives. <laughs> so in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, there was a mining town that was originally called Red Jacket, and it's now referred to as Calumet. And the disaster I'm going to tell you about took place on Christmas Eve, 1913, and it was during the copper mining strike that lasted from the summer of 1913 to the spring of 1914. And the podcast was mentioning how awful the mining companies treated workers. The mines were located in remote areas of the Upper Peninsula, the UP, and the mining companies had created entire towns to like entice the miners up there. But that meant that everything from the schools to the hospitals to the homes, everything was owned by the mining company. So that meant if you're fired, then you're also evicted from your home. And should a miner be killed on the job, like that day, their family would be evicted to make room for the next miner's family to live in. Wow, they're dicks. I thought the same thing. I'm like, wow, you are assholes. So, And the problem is also copper mining is very dangerous. So every year during this time, one out of every two copper mine workers died or was injured. So on average, at a Michigan copper mine, a worker died every week and 10 other people suffered a, sen- a serious injury every single week wow. and that's because our cop our copper is really deep and these people are using candles to see okay that's how <laughs> yes they're underground six days a week for 10 to 12 hours and different jobs receive different pay and some people were paid for shit okay and the miners were also broken into ethnicity groups with the finnish english German, Italians, and Croatians. And some of the groups were consistently given better pay while other groups were consistently assigned lower paying trammer jobs. Of course. And a trammer is, yeah, right? A trammer is one of those little things where you saw in Scooby-Doo where they would put the, the, the stuff into the little cart and then they'd push the cart up front to the front of the mine. Oh, yeah? From the, yep, those are trammers. So people in the same mines would be speaking five or more languages. 
So the WFM, the Western Federation of Miners, as a union began to form, right? So coal companies wanted to introduce a new drill that would make it possible to do the same work with less workers. And the miners are afraid they're going to lose their job. They're worried that there wouldn't be enough people around them if they got into trouble because now they're not like a three-man group. It's a one-man group or whatever. The men wanted more money. They didn't want the new drill. They wanted safer conditions. And they wanted their workdays hours reduced to eight. So they go on strike. And the mine company brought in strike breakers and non-union workers for the mines. So it's go- this is going on for months. Shit's super tense, right? Yeah. Christmas Eve shows up, and this woman named Annie Clemick, C-L-E-M-E-N-E-C, she wants to do something special for the kids in the town because the workers had been striking for so long that they mostly were surviving on donations, and it doesn't leave a lot for the children. So the townspeople agreed to have a celebration at the Italian Hall in town. They had someone dressed as Santa to give out little gifts to raise the kids' spirits. People donated what they can, and altogether they you know, got together about 58 bucks to buy the kids like little gifts and 58 bucks isn't a lot, even back in 1913, but you know, it was enough to give each kid like a little trinket and there's literally hundreds of kids. So the first floor of the hall was a saloon and there were five to 700 people gathered for the Christmas celebration on the second floor of the building. And that's where the banquet hall is located. And most of the people on the second floor were children. And then suddenly out of nowhere, a dude, they only know that it was a man, yells fire. And immediately, like, Annie and the other adults didn't see any smoke, so they told the children around them, hey, stay calm, stay calm. But some kids still panicked. And there was a single set of stairs leading from the second floor, and at the bottom of that single set of stairs was three doors. One door immediately was at the bottom of the the stairs. The next door led to the first floor bar, and the third door led out to the street. So as the kids are panicking, and some adults too, they're trying to all rush down the stairs at once. And the first few people make it out of the door and onto the street, but the other people behind them didn't survive. So originally, it was thought that the kids were caught in the hallway, I mean, in the doorway, because the doors opened towards them, and the people pushing from the back were actually pushing the doors closed. And there was enough, but they found out that's not true because the doors actually did open out. They were able to offer photographic evidence that the doors did open out. So what they believe is one of the kids at the bottom of the stairs tripped and it created a pile up when the people from the back continued to push and they all fell over on top of each other. So the fire department was across the street from the hall and they quickly rushed to the hall when they find out what's happening. And they found children from the party crushed into the doorway. And the pile of bodies was six feet high. Some children and adults had managed to escape from the second floor via a fire ladder on the side of the building. And some people jumped from a window onto a roof nearby. The firemen that came to the scene, they had to enter the building from the fire ladder because the door at the bottom of the stairs was blocked by bodies. And remember, it was like six feet tall where the bodies jammed in the door. And from the top of the steep set of stairs, the firemen had to pull children from the top. They had to go from the top of the stairs in through the window and pull people off the top. More than half of them were Finnish. 60 of the 73 dead were children. 73 people, you know, for sure died in the crush at the bottom of the stairs because there's different numbers, but they know for sure 73 people died. And those people actually died from being crushed at the bottom of the stairs when people landed on them or suffocating from the weight of the people on top of them. And actually there was no fire. 
somebody had just yelled fire. So the owner of the saloon, Dominic Vario, was um, on the first floor. And when he realized that people were trapped in the stairwell, he tried to go there and help. And when he returned to his tavern, someone had stolen all his money from his till and they stole all the liquor out of his saloon. Human beings are trash. <laughs> Terrible. And I thought maybe you were going to tell me like some, the mine company had somehow locked the door. Well, they were accused of it. Let me keep going. So people begin to immediately look for the person who called out that there was a fire, right? And there were rumors that that dude was associated with the mine company. That the guy, because at one point they're like, I think Bob did it. And Bob is for the mining company. And all these witnesses in the hall said it was a man with a dark coat and a cap. And that was the guy that called the alarm. But they were never able to actually identify that person and say that he did work for the mining company. But it was always believed that whoever called fire did. So depending on whether the local newspapers were aligned with the miners or the mining company, the story of the tragedy was like reported differently in newspapers. If you aligned with the miners, then you said that the man with the cap had a pin on his lapel that labeled him as a mining company supporter and newspapers that aligned with the mining companies wrote about their loyal employees working to save their children. And they didn't mention any other people at the scene trying to help like the Italian tavern owner who had everything stolen from him. So the grieving townsfolk had to go to neighboring communities to try to look for more child sized caskets because nope, they didn't have that many caskets for children in the town. And they decided to have one single funeral procession for all the victims. About 2,000 people watched the procession go by, and they had to dig two large mass graves as 22 people were buried in the Catholic cemetery and 44 were buried in a Protestant cemetery, and the rest of the people were, were buried in familial plots, so their family plots. So the strike wouldn't be over for actually for another four months, but like logistically, it was over. Henry Ford actually had began hiring workers for his factories, and they... People at his factory made $2 more an hour than the miners did mining. So the miners just started coming to the factories. And the factories had safer conditions than the mines. And so, yeah, miners moved to Detroit and the UP wasn't as strong in mining. And when the strike was officially over, the strikers only received two of their demands. They had a small pay raise and they had their days limited to eight-hour days. And that strike actually also killed the WFM, the Western Federation of Miners, the union. So there's a granite sign that has all the victims' names on it in the site of the disaster. And originally the sign said that the disaster happened because the doors um, swung in. But after some dude was able to prove with photographs that the doors swung out, the state of Michigan changed the sign to say that, you know, that's not what happened, that they all died because they got crushed at the bottom. But guess what? Yeah. Woody Guthrie wrote this folk song about it, and he basically blamed the mining companies um, for killing the children. And it made me, I'm going to do an article on Woody Guthrie because that is the second time he wrote a story about somebody that I've looked into because he also did Lumila Pelvinchenko. And guess who I found out he also wrote a song about? Ooh. Fred Trump, Donald Trump's dad. Really? Yeah, I guess those two had a beef going on. So I'm going to write an article and I'm going to tell you about Woody Guthrie fighting the man with folk songs. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes. So that's my super depressing story about how children died in the that UP. Was, that, that was uh, depressing. 
Yes, I read it and I listened to the podcast and I was like, well, I'm going to need to lay down now. Right. <laughs> Think about life for a minute. That is so sad. <laughs> yes, but I'll have something a little bit better next time. A little more intrigue, a little more flavor. All right. All right, cool. I'll talk to you later. Right, bye. Contact us at anchor or Michigan other mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation. Listen to the podcast or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now.